Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Sales Synod podcast. I think anyone watching on YouTube will definitely recognize uh, the company and hopefully the person. Very, very well known on LinkedIn. Um, we're going to be talking about using unconventional backgrounds in a conventional industry, which might sound a bit confusing at first, but it's it's quite simple. And I think everyone's going to have at least experienced themselves or they know someone who has. Um, so you might be working with someone who's got an unconventional background and you might not know it, but, um, hopefully we'll chat through some of that today, but I will hand over to Mike, the guest for today to introduce himself and the company, um, before we get going. So over to you, Mike. Hey, Jamie. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm Mike. I work over at Lavender. Um, I'm a part of the sales team here. Um, and prior to Lavender, I worked at a company called Saster before that, which really makes me who I am. Um, I was in the military for five and a half years. So I did four tours overseas, um, lots of stuff. I was a targeting chief. And so um, quite a bit of fun, but absolutely no sales experience. I had like stumbled into sales. And so I think that's what we'll be uh, covering today. And um, speaking of Saster, I think, uh, what was that last week? Or was it over the last few days, wasn't it? So I've seen, I've seen a lot of it on my feed. Yeah, it was last week. It was a great time too. It was, um, it was fun. We got to, I got to see the whole team. So that was cool. Uh, it was the first time that like, and since working at Lavender, every single person in the team had been one place. And so it was really, really fun. Um, we threw an awesome party. We like to throw parties. So, uh, we had our Alice in Wonderland, like psychedelic theme party. We had this like wild caterpillar that was like smoking hookah there. And like, we had, trees and like all these like fake mushrooms and it was really cool it was a fun time yeah it, it looks unreal in the video and i think what was it over a thousand people in an aircraft hangar something like that yeah over a thousand people in this like private executive aircraft hangar and it was funny too because um and this was all, also goes into what we're talking about today was like an unconventional background was what helped our team was me and all the ladies that are on lavender's team don't really have like sales or like strong true backgrounds in what we're doing a lot of us come from just like random haphazard places um but what helped was when we first walked into the venue the hangar was like massive right we knew it was going to be big but it was very big like compared to what we thought it was going to be um because we were just like oh it's a private aircraft hangar it's not going to be that big no they had it private aircraft hangar so that three different jets could be it right so it was massive and we were worried because we didn't know if we were going to be able to have enough people to like have it look even full right because you know you would probably need two three thousand people is what we thought and so we did some like kind of just planning and like very very last minute like what can we do what other props can we get and everything else to just like make this space seem better and more filled um and it all came together really well. It was like within the first, we completely flexed from what our original plan was. Nothing that we originally planned is what we did. We completely changed it all very last minute. Um, and yeah, and we opened the doors. We did some mass guerrilla marketing. People didn't even know where the event was 24 hours before we released it. So I actually was responsible for sending out the event invites um, the same day that the event was. And so I got, Let's see. I sent there was like seventeen hundred registrants, so I sent seventeen hundred individual like calendar invites. Technically, right? I did it all at once, but the worst thing you could ever do for your email. All right, like, <laughs> I had so many emails so fast. Um, any time that I have to send something that's got more than like five people on it, um, it's squeaky bum time. It's like it's it's horrible. 
It was awful. Yeah. And it was funny too, because I got to know before the whole team, how many people were registered for this event. But I think it compounded because since I sent the invite out and it wasn't like this like webinar invite kind of thing where like you can't tell how many people are coming, you could see how many people were registered. Right. And so you just saw this number go from like, I sent it out and it went to like immediately a hundred and then like 200 and then 300 and then 400. And then it went to like 600. And then I like went to a customer meeting and I came back out and it said 900. And I was like, guys, we need more alcohol. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we didn't know. We didn't know how many people were going to come, but we knew there was going to be quite a bit. Yeah. It, it looked unreal. <laughs> and that, like, I can, I can see a festival on the horizon for you guys. It's, I know you guys are thinking about it. Lavender <laughs> Fest. Like Tomorrowland, but Lavenderland, oh, you can just see it. It's almost too obvious, isn't it? You can see it. I will will give you guys some special uh, special news. Yeah, you're not too far off. It's not, uh, it is Lavender. Lavender is going to not only are we doing the event space different, or sorry, the email space different, but we're also going to change the way that I think people look at events, especially corporate events, um, and how you can have some fun with it. Is um is that something to do with the tool you guys use to handle the invitations for this event? No, oh, I was gonna say because that they um I can't it began with P I can't remember what tool you guys use but I was like it had that lavender vibe about it and I was like hmm is this a it does is this yeah. a second <laughs> product subsidiary of the or I was like okay this makes sense no it's definitely more of an event thing that we're thinking of um but. You are right when you say that we love raves. We love festivals. Um, our CEO was at Burning Man. Our CEO and our CTO <laughs> were at Burning Man, stuck in the mud uh, prior to prior to Saster. Uh, and yeah, they go to like everywhere in Europe, and we travel quite a bit. Yeah, Tomorrowland's pretty yeah, dope. Pretty. Yeah, we got an event um, coming up in Sastock, Dublin uh, in October. So we, we, we've been, uh, it's certainly inspirational at least uh, watch, watching you guys. So I think there's a lot to learn. Um, and obviously for anyone who doesn't recognize Lavender, one, where have you been? Two, go and check them out on LinkedIn or YouTube, watch all the videos. Um, but like, like we said, we're going to be talking about unconventional backgrounds. Um, I think a really good place to start is what you mean by an unconventional background. You've kind of alluded to it already, but what do you mean when you're talking about an unconventional background? Yeah, I think an unconventional background, right? The the best way to describe it, and probably not the exact definition, I like to just kind of make up like, I think if you're looking at things in the dictionary, literally, then you live a life that's not very fun. Um, but I think and you're, and you're probably not unconventional if you are. You're probably not unconventional, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, you're exact opposite of what we're going to talk about. No. Um, <laughs> Unconventional backgrounds are really anybody who's coming from a place that doesn't have direct, right? It's not like like you're getting into sales from the military. That's an unconventional background, right? When I when you go to apply for a job and you don't have direct experience, you have an unconventional background. They don't see it as like, okay, you could actually be put into this role, you know, pretty seamlessly. They see it as like they're trying to connect the dots. And the problem with unconventional backgrounds is it's not the actual quality of the worker. In fact, people who have unconventional backgrounds often work much harder and oftentimes are more successful than those who took a very traditional pathway, right? But the big reason why that is, is because I sent 350 plus, like almost 400 different applications into companies when I was trying to get into sales or really any job. I didn't really know what I wanted to do coming out of the military. 
And every call that I got back was either a no. I had one person that was like, yeah, sure. We'll talk to you about a possible SDR role. Um, but it was a recruiter. And they told me that I wasn't even qualified to be an SDR. But the reason why they were saying this wasn't because of me. It was because when they looked at my resume, all they saw was this dude was just a, a military guy who has no idea what a quota is and couldn't even tell me these acronyms. And I'm like, okay, you know, you didn't even give me the chance to talk about myself, but okay. I mean, I don't want to work with you if that's the case anyway. <laughs> and hey, look at, look at you now, right? Look at you now. Yeah. And, and it's kind of what you have to do, right? I think unconventional backgrounds, um, if you look at the group of people who come from them, they oftentimes have to be their biggest supporter at first. It's yourself, right? Uh, I think the only reason why I got into sales, actually, I should say I know the only reason why I got into sales was because of Jack Ryan. Um, he used to be my old manager at Saster. Gave me, he literally just gave me a call. I messaged him about burritos on LinkedIn. That's how I got hired. All right. I saw his, I saw his post talking about breakfast burritos in Southern California, and I'm a big breakfast burrito or just burrito in general fan. Um, and so I like shot him over a LinkedIn message and asked him what he gets on his burrito and like where he is in SoCal because it'd be cool just to meet him. Um, and he asked me what my order was first. And I was like, this guy plays chess, you know, cause he, he didn't know if I was just going to like say, yeah, I like the same thing or what. I'm sure he was probably getting a bunch of people trying to do that. So I sent him over what I like. And then next thing you know, he got me a burrito and he was like, you just want to come, you want to come work with me? And I was like, what do you want me to do? He's like, I got this job. It's called an SDR. It's a sales development rep. And I was like, let's do it. <laughs> um and yeah the rest is kind of history kind of um touched on it slightly there military background like uh, this is probably slightly uh self so i don't know self-interest for me like I, i'm intrigued right i'm we we got um a guy who worked in our tech team and i worked with him for two years yeah. and it was only after he left that we found out he was in the military and did like three or four tours and we were like what the what so tell me about um tell me a bit about uh your your military background then yeah, so I was a targeting chief. Um, and so my job was to primarily hunt and find like high value targets or high value individuals. Um, and I could go into that more. I guess I, I should. Yeah, because you directly asked me that. And then I can go and how it correlates to sales. But um, essentially what I did was I would ingest a ton of reporting. So you can think like millions and millions of pieces of data like just reports coming from real humans across the entire world, right? Or world events that were happening. And I had to try to make sense. Basically what you're doing is you have a you have an endless amount of puzzle pieces on a never ending puzzle board. And you're trying to fill out where those puzzle pieces go to make sense of what the possible picture is before it gets so big that you have no idea what it's doing. Right. And so you can tell it's this game of just never ending kind of like mental focus and um that's really the best way i could sum up what i did was you know every individual target or individual place or person that i had to find right played a tiny part of a very never-ending big puzzle right and the faster that i could fill in those parts the faster we might be able to find out the bigger picture uh, and that was my job was to be able to find out the bigger picture as fast as possible and really go out with some of the teams to to uh you know do some business yeah i think um i remember you saying on the kickoff that was what was it four or five years something like that you you did that for yeah five and a half years um yep 
to spend some time in the the Marine Corps and at JSOC. And I um I, I recognize JSOC only because of um you know Netflix. I don't know SEAL Team Six, all of those sorts of programs. So it it takes yeah. your mind in a in a certain direction. But I think um it was almost like the the perfect example of that unconventional background being used in a in a conventional um, market. Because I think you gave us some like some of those tangible links between what you used to do in the military and what you ended up doing for Sasta. And um, you told me a story about how you absolutely smashed it out of the park with Sasta. Um, and, you know, after that story, you've just told us of sending 350 applications. So like, why, why did you do so well at, at Sasta? Yeah, honestly, I don't know. Um, I, I think what I can attribute to is I was just myself. Like, I think, um, like, I've never read a sales book, even to today, ever, ever in my life. I've never read a sales book. I've never studied a methodology or anything like that. I mean, maybe Jen Allen, you could subscribe Jen Allen as being a methodology. <laughs> um, she's like my best friend. Uh, love Jen to death. But yeah, we, we had her on a few weeks ago and she yeah. was, uh, she was brilliant. And she's, uh, she's doing, she's doing big things. So yeah, big, big up Jen, big up Jen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Her whole demand Jen stuff, which. She's a phenomenal speaker, and I'm lucky to call her a best friend. Jen is very, very near and dear to my heart. But I think I equate it back to uh, really just being myself. Like people always ask me, "What sales methodology do you use? What's you know, what do you read? What did you study? How can I, you know, how can I be like this?" And I always come back to them and I say, "Yeah, I use the Mike Wonder methodology." And they're like, "Well, that's useless." And I'm like, "Exactly. You see, you don't want the hard answer, but the hard answer is you have to put in the hard work." And all I can say is from the time that I got into the military to the time that I was in it to the time I got out back into sales and to today, nobody's ever handed me this perfect thing on a platter and just been like, you deserve it. Here you go. It's always been, he'll do the hard work, just give it to him and he'll figure it out. And I think that's this like, this, this thing that I leveraged when I got into sales was I know nothing. I'm like a baby, you know, like a, like a baby human who can't walk yet. I can't even crawl. I'm just trying to like soak everything in, in the environment. And so that's what I did. I went back to what I know at my core was I got on every single call that I could get on. I did every single, I read every email that Jack had sent in the last 60, 90 days. And I looked at what was making him successful. What were the things that he was saying? What were the things that he was doing? What were the things that my teammates, the AEs were, were saying? What were they, you know, how were they getting people to get those aha moments and demos or to make them realize the value that they, you know, Saster could bring to them? And what I did was I took all those things, saved them kind of in my brain because I don't like to take too many notes like that. And then my brain, I just kind of go through it because that's what I had to do in the military was a lot of stuff that's just mental processing for me. And when I did that, I found like, all right, there's a really cool way that I could articulate some of these things in email. And so I started to just email in a very non-conditional or conventional way. And um, what I found out was people enjoyed it. People liked to see a pattern interrupt inside their inbox. And I fell in love with the email game. Um, it ended up booking me a ridiculous amount of meetings every month. I was booking like anywhere between 25 to 35 C-suite level meetings a month. Um, that was as eventually full cycle, but, um, yeah, I mean, I had a over, over 1.1 or $1.2 million close, uh, in my first 90 days on the job. And I had a $1.5 million quota. 
Uh, and by the time I had left Saster, uh, it had doubled within nine. I doubled my annual quota in nine months. So, um, I mean, it worked. But I think I was really the short answer and really the not easy answer is that I was just willing to put in the work. Yeah, you know, when you said um, the the Mike Mike Wanda method, it's that's that's another thing that's got a ring to it as well. But um, no, it's it's interesting because lavender, um, just in, in general as a company, nothing they do is conventional, is it? If, no. Like there, there is no um, typical bog standard off the shelf methodology that you guys use for anything, almost. Right, and what it is, and we all subscribe to this, is that every single person on our team has something to offer whether they're an intern whether like our engineering team people don't realize it but they're 60 percent of our company so when we threw that party all those wild lavender people that they thought were marketers or salespeople, they were all our engineers our engineers even have personalities right like they're probably some <laughs> and, not, and not saying something exactly right and they're probably some of my favorite people to talk to but the the reason why we're able to capture this culture at Lavender and this, um, I would say this sense of like, like you mentioned, like everybody realizes we don't do things that are very conventional. The reason why we're able to do that is because when somebody gets hired into Lavender, we don't put them into a box. And that is exactly how I view my leadership style. And that's how I'll always lead is the best teams that I have ever led, whether it was in the military or it's in sales, it doesn't matter. I never put somebody into a box when they first joined the company. I never said, hey, welcome to the team. Here's this massive curriculum, right? Like learn it, love it, live it, and it's going to work. That's how, you, that's how you create robots. I don't want a robot. I want a human. So what I do is I say, hey, welcome to the team. Here's what Lavender is. Here's what problems we solve for, right? If they, they probably already know that if they're getting hired here. But I say, how would you articulate that? And I want them to come up with how they will talk about it first. Because odds are, and I've seen it, almost every time someone talks about the tool or somebody mentions something that from their experience or from somebody they know's experience that we never thought about. But I would have never got that if I never asked them, right? And so I just think like you have to you have to really hone in on some of these out of box thoughts and ideas before you just throw everybody into just some box and just say, hey, seal it up. You know, that's the latest sales team. Here you go. Um, we're gonna put it over there. Yeah, no, that that box that really speaks um, to, to me as an individual. I was at a company previously, um, one of the UK's largest car insurers. Um, I joined there as an opportunity to learn something new and I was very quickly put in a box and I couldn't step outside of that box. And it was two years of doing the same single, very finite niche part of marketing. Very, very dull for two years. And then I've come to the intelligence company I'm at and I basically have complete freedom to do whatever I want as long as the only sort of metric is, does it bring us closer to our ultimate goal? That's That's all I have to be mindful of. And it's... It's such a stark night and day, um, I don't know, just complete and utter mental freedom of being able to express uh, the, the massive ideas and thoughts that just go on in your head. Right. And that's, and that's what you want, right? You want for your workers to wake up every day and say, I think I have an idea. 
I think I have an idea. And that's what you want, right? Like you want that stop. You want that pause. You want them to, to be excited about bringing something new to a company. You don't want them to wake up and be like, I already know what's going to happen today. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to drink coffee at this time. I'm going to go to lunch at this time. I'm going to probably take some internal meetings from, you know, one to three. And then I have like this meeting that I have to take and then I'm done for the day. Because what happens is now you've just created a robot, right? Like a blank canvas can be scary, but it can also be the most beautiful thing that's ever been given to a human being. If you don't put somebody into a box and you allow them to be mentally free, they'll turn a blank canvas into a, you know, Picasso or Da Vinci masterpiece that you never even imagined. But you got to let them do it first. And it's okay, because sometimes they're not going to turn it into the masterpiece right away. But you as a leader need to be able to steer them into the right direction. I've always had this um, weird sort of theory in the back of my head, right? So you watch Formula One and you've got these Formula One drivers that are the best best at, at driving in the, in the world, right? Yep. But out of the seven and a half billion people around the world, how many top three Formula One drivers do you think there are that have just never stepped foot in a car? Exactly. And, and that, that's like, I find it like I've never um, tried the majority of Olympic sports, but who's not to say that I could throw a javelin further than anyone else in the world if I've never tried it. Exactly. Like, right. but, yeah, I, but I, yeah, but, but we're, we're on this path of you sometimes restricted path where you, you don't get the opportunity to try things and like, you never know what's going to happen. But let's, aside from those, those issues and like, biases like what from a what are some of the biases associated with unconventional backgrounds in terms of why people would avoid them yeah i think there's an inherent risk of like is it going to work out or not which to me is kind of crazy right like i think um it's easier to say somebody went to school and they studied business and they studied you know they took some sales classes so they have a background that's not a background. And in fact, it's actually not even good because most of the things that you learn in school, you get to your job and they're like, all right, everything you learned, forget about it. You know what I'm saying? Forget about it. Like it just generalized everything you're going to do. And I'll ask you, Jamie, you went to school, right? You went to university. How many of the things that you learned, did you learn in university? Are you actually applying in your daily life? No, it's, not many, like not many, but the only thing I'll say is that is I, um, I did design, I drew, that was my, my background right, was art and design, right? But now I work <laughs> in, um, a highly tactical sort of, sort of role. So I, I do get to do the creative stuff, but there's all that other stuff that I'm not qualified to do. Right. That you yeah. that you excel at, yeah. right? If you look at your background you should be doing, you know, creative design and you shouldn't be on a podcast. Right. Yeah, I, I should be. I should be in a studio getting briefs, get you know, being told what to do and delivering assets on time. Right. Exactly. And so when you when you look at it, it's like there's a sense of security, is what it is. There's a sense of security. Not a, people don't like to take risk, especially when there's something on the line for them. They are less like somebody is less likely to take risk if when things go bad, they are going to reap the you know not the benefits per se. Uh, in a sense of like, it's obviously went bad. So they're going to reap the repercussion of it, right? They're going to probably get told like, are you really a qualified manager? Because you just hired this person and it was the worst thing we ever did. But look, you're going to fail. 
right? You're going to fail. You are. Everybody is going to at some point in their life, whether they're the most successful person or not. Like Jeff Bezos, the man failed a thousand times before he created Amazon, right? Um, but when you think about why people are so hesitant, it's just because they personally have never lived your life, right? They personally don't know your experiences. I don't think it's as like personal, like vendetta in a sense of like some people are like, oh, they hate to hire out of the box, like, you know, people that are out of the box. I don't think that's ever really the case. I just think that people struggle to truly understand what value you are going to bring by looking at a resume. And that's where it's a little bit of an unfair advantage for people who have conventional backgrounds is like they can, they can write their resume in a very true, I held, you know, I had a $3 million quota and I closed 7 million in nine months. Like, holy, you know what I mean? This guy's got his, he got his head on straight. But for me, it was like, I never held a quota. I never ran a sales call. I never sent sales emails, right? But what I did do is I had a bunch of different data pieces. I had an organizational structure or sometimes didn't have one. I had to create an org chart. Then I had to say, okay, here's my buyer, my target, right? Here's all the people around my buyer, which was my target. Who am I going to influence or who am I going to penetrate to draw out my buyer, right? And when I explained that in an interview process, immediately the light bulb went off for Jack. He was like, dude, that makes sense. Like that is literally, that's harder than what we do, right? Like you, you're going to have an org chart. You're going to have the emails. You're going to be able to talk to them. It's like, I never got to talk to these people. You know what I mean? I, I never got to meet these people. I sure as hell didn't sit on Zoom with them, right? Or send them emails. And so there's a lot of things that I did that just don't make sense to somebody who's never had the chance to do them before. And so you just have to really master your craft of being able to articulate that. Because if not, if you can't articulate it, then it's really impossible for the person who's interviewing you to understand what value you can truly bring. And I think look, in, in hiring managers and companies' defense, look, you're so cautious about mitigating risk and spend and at the end of the day it's potentially your head on the chopping block so yeah look let's be honest if you're making an investment a financial investment you're going to go with the, the, the safest bet even yeah. though maybe in your heart you don't want to but in your head you're like look i've got to hit targets and if i don't hire the right person that's going to contribute i'm not going to hit my target and i could be at risk so look, it, it, i can understand why it, it, you don't see it more often but then like we've sort of touched on a, a couple of them, but then the, the, the big benefits to organizations who just go balls deep and say, no, look, we're going to hire people, not, 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 um, yeah. We're not gonna people, we're gonna, yeah, that's it. That's what I was trying yeah. to say. We're, we're going to hire people, not, not titles, not, not CVs. We're going to hire people. What, right. what are the big, like. I guess, you know, we can talk about lavender as well, but like, what are the big benefits of, of, of doing that? Yeah, I don't even think lavender, like it, you could take lavender out of the equation. I think the benefit is, is very, very obvious, right? You have, look at the, the best cultures in the world. Look at why do people want to go to Los Angeles? Why do people want to go to New York? It's not because they're so beautiful. It's because they have culture. They have culture, right? Los Angeles and New York are home to some of the best food. San Diego, I live in San Diego. 
I could walk down my street. I've got a Vietnamese homemade place. I've got a Thai homemade place. I've got Italian. I've got Mexican. I've got everything. You know what I mean? But that's, that's what made the city beautiful. And that's what makes a company beautiful is you need culture. You need diversity. You need people who have out-of-the-box thoughts, out-of-the-box ideas, different backgrounds, different ways of thinking, different morals, different beliefs. Right? You need flavor. You, you need, need flavor. You need spice. The best chips are oftentimes not plain, right? And if they are plain, they probably got some salt and pepper. It's a little <laughs> bit of flavor on there, right? Like it, it, you just you don't fry a potato and say I'm gonna sell this because no one's gonna buy it because it's gonna taste like one thing. But what you can do is give it a little bit of spice and flavor, and then you can start to sell it with a little bit of sandwich. Right. And so I think that's just kind of how you got to view it is you, the benefits of an organization. I mean, you could use a lot of orgs as a case study for this. I think Canva is probably the best one. I don't think Lavender is the best one because we're still small. I think Canva is the best, true, diverse, 100% free mind flowing company. Like that's what they are. It's what they do. And so they like ingrain that into their people. And I give, Canva credit to really revolutionizing the different modern workspace. Um, I think Google has done a very good job of that. I think they're way too big to use as an example because like they didn't do it at first, right? They definitely did that as they grew, but you can tell the reason why they became who they are today is because they did that, right? There's a lot of ideas, the people who deliver products for them, the people who do own products for them and own ideas, um, oftentimes are people from different backgrounds. Uh, and so, yeah, I would say like the best primary use case of what would happen is look at Canva. Canva is a really good example of that. Yeah, I mean, we we use Canva every single day, and I, well, I do, and I and I've done, I've used it for probably the ten years, last ten years of my uh, career. And um, when you actually read the, if people don't know the story of Canva um, about the the founder. Um, Go and read it. It's super, super interesting. And like some of the features they're releasing at the minute are just ridiculous. Are there any other like highlight companies for you uh, outside of Canva that are unconventional in every way? Yeah. Um, you know, not that comes too far off the top of my head. Like not ones that really blow me out of the water. Um, unconventional. I think like they're, it's a very new thing, right? It's a very new thing. Um, Okay, how about how about unconventional people? Oh yeah, peers, people you've worked with. Go on, let's let's do that. Uh, yeah. uh, there's a whole slew of them. Um, people who are at least are in SaaS that are unconventional. Uh, look at like Riley Blaisdell. Riley Blaisdell is a really good friend of mine. Riley came like he used to sell gloves, like latex gloves, to drivers, to places, like all sorts of stuff. And the dude he must like, have made a killing during COVID. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> Um, well, it turns out that their margins on gloves are a lot different than the margins on software. <laughs> no. Um, but that's what he did. No, Riley's a, Riley's a fantastic guy, but he's got an unconventional background. Um, Alex Bruschi, really good friend of mine, super unconventional background. I mean, the dude worked with cars before, right? Um, now he's got a podcast sling and software just like yourself, right? Um, I think mothers, people who came out of being like stay at home moms who did not sell before. They're really good at crisis management. They're really good at talking to people. Um, a phenomenal thing there. Uh, her name is completely escaping my head. She works at Deal now. Um, and she's going to make fun of me if she sees this because we're good friends. And I can't remember her name right now. 
uh, my brain, sorry, first thing in the morning. But um, teachers, a lot of teachers that are out there, I guess we could talk about titles rather than just people. But teachers, massive, massive benefit of hiring them. Almost every um, teacher that I've ever seen work in sales has just dominated it. Because I can tell you right now, selling a group of whether they're high schoolers or elementary kids to sit the hell down and listen to something for 45 minutes is impossible. All right. Like we were all those kids at some point. Um, but teachers, athletes, I mean, anybody who is doing something that was not selling before is oftentimes very successful today. I really like the um, sport. I'm I'm big into the gym and I, I, I've been sort of into the gym for about 10 years. And I think anyone who can go do something, whether that's um, weightlifting, swimming, archery, you know, you name it, day in, day out and make tiny, ineffectual percentage gains week in, week out consistently for years. That's a person that I can work with. Yeah. Do you know what the ultimate similarity is between all of these unconventional backgrounds? Go on. Take a guess. Um, they love self-harming themselves with tiny <laughs> little changes every single day. Micromental improvements. <laughs> Micromental improvements. That's what we focus on. That's what we harp on. The way that I held my weapon, the way that I read a report, the way that I thought about something. I tried to change fractures of a segment to become the best of the best that I possibly could. The way that you lift the weight, the way that you're where you're pulling down, the way you're pulling up, how fast you're doing it, the volume that you're doing it. Like people see it as I'm going to go bench. Let's go rack it out. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to it. How, what frequency are you benching? How many sets are you doing? What are the reps that you're doing? Are you know, are you, are you, are you tempering? Like what, what different things are you doing to make yourself better? Um, you can look at like teachers, right? You can look at all these different places, but what happens is micromental improvements are what make or break you because in the backgrounds that we are in, oftentimes we're on regimented schedules. And so if you fall into the daily schedule of it, you fall out of love with what you're doing. But if you fall in love with the process of what you're doing rather than the title, you focus on micromental and fractionary improvements. And that is what the similarity is between people from an unconventional background versus somebody who's in a conventional background. Because if I talk to somebody who's been in sales for a while and I start to hear them, they're focused on what they've always done to be successful. They find success in something. Next thing you know, they're creating a consulting agency. They're going out and they're doing all these different things with consulting, but it's all based off what made them successful when they were doing it. The problem is sales is ever changing. Every environment's ever changing. It doesn't matter what background you're a part of. And unless you're focused on every single day making micromental improvements in your process, you're going to quickly fall out of love with what you're doing and you're going to fall in love with the title of what you did. I take it you're a fan of Atomic Habits, the book. <laughs> Fun fact, actually, and she's going to kill me for mentioning this. So do you know Maria Bross? Uh, I don't know. Not, you should get her on. She's, she's dope. But I'm going to write a thing down now. Yeah, Maria Bross. She's a great friend of mine, and Atomic Habits is her favorite book. I actually, it's so funny. I'll also shout out Masterclass. I can send you a link after this. Masterclass is doing a free one-hour webinar um, it's a one or two hours webinar. I think it's an hour. 
with the writer of Atomic Habits. It's a free James, webinar. James Clear. Yeah, James Clear. You get to do like Q&A with him, all sorts of stuff, but he's doing an hour free webinar. Um, and I'll send you the link because you're probably a fan of that. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to register to that now. I've never read the book. Oh, it's so good. You've I don't got... even know what it's about. <laughs> um, so those micro, those micro, micro mental uh, changes that you talked about. It's It's basically how, um, I guess the way to write. So people want to lose weight, and instead of losing weight, all you need to do is okay. You might need to go to bed slightly earlier so that you wake up fresher. You might need to make your meal the night before. That so when it comes to lunchtime, you're like, oh, I've got nothing to eat. I'll go out and I'll I'll be. I don't know, tempted into getting a McDonald's or something. It's all about these tiny little habits that on their own mean absolutely nothing. But when you add them up over the course of 365 days, they add up to one big, massive change that you can make. And it's all, it's a great book. It's an absolutely fantastic book. It's a good example. I think I've lived my life that way. And I subscribe to that methodology. And I actually have coached that methodology back when I was in the military. And I do it even still today. I had no idea there was a book about that. Though. Um, that's pretty cool. Maybe I will read it. But um, yeah, I've never, I've never done that. I've always lived my life that way, though. Like I've always told myself, you know, and I've always explained something that doesn't seem big to you that you're doing now. Like this action of sending the follow-up email right now is going to prevent you from being stressed in the next day, which will prevent something other you know, a may possibly a major thing from happening two days from now. And so there, I like to call it what I equate it to. So it sounds like uh, James Clear equates it to atomic habits. What I credit and acclaim it to and something that I've always coached is called ripple effects. And it's something that actually I taught at Lavender. Um, and, you know, we've actually put it as part of our culture here, which is really cool. But it's, um, I was known for, I just came up with this. I just call it a ripple effect. And my idea is you always should be leaving positive ripples. And what I do is I have a 15 minute calendar hold on the end of my day every day. And it's called ripple effect. And I will ask myself, who did I talk to today? How did I talk to them? What did I say to them? And could anything that I have done rub somebody the wrong way? Or did I do something that I should not have done? Or did I forget to do something that I needed to do? And my intention with this is not to be hard on myself. My intention with this is not to be hard on anybody else. My intention is to make sure that when I'm done with work, I can leave positive ripples everywhere. And I don't have to go to bed or go, you know, get off work and worry about, oh, did somebody, you know, possibly misconstrue what I said to them? So what I'll do is if I made a mistake, I'll, and you can ask my team, I will email them or or my team. So I'll slack them and I'll say, Hey, I think I said this to you today. I just wanted to make sure that we're good because I didn't mean it in a bad way. But when I thought about it later on, I think I could have came off in the wrong way. And oftentimes they'll reply back to me and be like, actually, yeah, it was in my head a little bit, but no, I really, I appreciate this. I get where you're coming from. Thank you. And then like, we're good. But if I never would have sent that over time, that builds resentment, that builds, you know, disliking, that builds almost into hatred. And so it's something very, very small, but you can practice it in anything in your life. I do it. You can do it with relationships. You can do it with work. You can do it with the gym, right? What, what ripples did you leave on your body? Right? Did you feel a little bit weird in your shoulder when you were doing shoulder press today? If you did, maybe you should ice it a little bit. Maybe you should do a little bit extra stretching. But 
you got to just take some time, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and just think about what you just did and how that can impact you later on. That's powerful. That, that, yeah, that's, um, I've not heard, obviously not heard of the ripple effect. It kind of reminds me of, um, I think there was a film back in the day called the butterfly effect or something. And it's, it's, it's about the, the basic theory is, um, if a butterfly flaps its wings somewhere, it causes a tsunami, the other side of the world positive and negative uh, right. yeah. re repercussions of every decision and everything you do there's a positive or a negative um, repercussion Reaction. of that so right. that yeah so that you should to your point you should make sure that every lasting thing that you do leaves a positive in this case ripple um that's going to make for a fantastic clip i can i can see it already that's yeah that's it that's something i think i could um i could personally adopt as well because i uh, you know i've been i've had comments before saying that i'm very direct with my emails to to the point sometimes that it comes across as i'm being very cold and being very um unemotional like i'm you know too too much too forceful in my words but yeah in my head i was just it was just a quick um you know just get it yeah, out you, get it you're done just replying mm. just answering somebody right Interesting. Well, that's certainly one I'm going to I'm going to adopt. Um, for for the for, for individuals um, that are listening or watching that feel as if they have an unconventional background, what um, are some tips that you would give them for transitioning into a conventional role? Like, how can they make that easier? How can they find a role like you had to? Yeah, one, it's never going to be easy. Tell yourself that right away. If you tell yourself, I'm going to find a job, it's going to be all fine, it's going to be easy, don't. Because you're setting yourself up for failure because it's not going to be easy. There's going to be adversity. The first thing you should do is tell yourself exactly that. I will be met with adversity. People will not know the value that I bring. But understand to yourself that you know the value that you bring. The first thing that I would do is write down everything that you have done in your unconventional background, no matter what you did. And take those things match them up to not just the role like the title that's what people fall into the title of what you're doing but match them up into the actual objective of what you're doing so for me when i was in sales right like i couldn't have said i had a quota if i was looking at a job description i would be like i am unqualified for this job 100 of the way but in reality the only thing i was i actually had a quota right it wasn't a number i mean it wasn't like mike you know you got to target 15 people this month it was more like you don't target these people uh a lot of bad things are going to happen right a lot of negative ripples are going to be left in the world and so that's the quote i held myself to um and so that's what i had to do was i had to stop looking at the job description as black and white and i had to start looking at it as a direction what they are kind of, what they're what they're asking for not what they need oftentimes it's not what they need right most people don't even know why they're hiring for the role they're hiring there's like i need somebody to close so let's take the same ae job description that we stole for our second ae that we ever hired that we got from this other company who's successful and let's just post it online you know what i mean like there's that's kind of what goes into it and so i would say that's the second thing look at look at what you've done write it down match it up to the idea of what they want you to do and you can probably connect those dots really well. The next thing that I would say is stand out from the rest of the pack by not just submitting in, you know, an application. 
somebody who has a conventional background is comfortable just being like, here's my, you know, here's my cover letter. Here's my resume. I'm just going to submit my resume and like, I'll probably get a call because I line up with a lot of what they're asking, right? They're banking on getting the call based off of doing a very low effort thing. But one simple, simple thing you can do is send an email, send an email to the hiring manager, send an email to a manager at the company and just get your name on their radar. When we were hiring for an AE, the second AE at Lavender, we had over 700 people apply. 700. We didn't even post the job description. 700. But we're an email company. You know how many people emailed us? Less than 10. Less than 10 people. And then out of those 10, half of them actually used Lavender to do the writing assignment that we gave them. You're applying for an email company who sells email software to salespeople and you didn't send us an email. And then you didn't use the software to write the emails we were asking you to write. Like, I can already tell you you're not going to be successful at the job because our demo are our emails. Is our emails. <laughs> um, like, if I email you, Jamie, and it's the worst thing you've ever seen, you are no longer going to be interested in my product. Because you aren't going to want your sales team to send emails like that. If you're on a call software and you're the worst cold caller, nobody's going to want to take a demo, you know, because you didn't get, they weren't interested from you. And so I just think like, I don't know, when you're an unconventional person going into a conventional place, just understand that you actually have more benefit and can bring more value than anything they could possibly have. I think that's um, three very, very good tips there. And I, I think, um, that if you've got an unconventional background, I think what I took from that is use the unconventional methodologies and the unconventional um, things that you've done to deliver or to to appeal to that conventional um, that that role. So rather than avoid it and try and hide it, not shine a light on it. Like right. make it make it obvious. Exactly. Make it obvious. Make it obvious that you don't know everything, but you're willing to figure it out. For um for for companies that might be thinking, uh, sh shit, I uh, I'm I'm quite we're quite conventional, damn it! Like, how can we become more unconventional? What do you think are some like really easy things that they can start doing very quickly? I appreciate cultural changes can take a lot longer, but like, what are some of the things a company could start doing very quickly that would help foster a, a culture of inclusion um f from an like that unconventional. Yeah, there's a lot of programs that are out there for like DE&I stuff and everything else. But I think the one thing like without even you don't have to spend money on it, right? Just be willing to accept risk. Like I would even say in black and white, like maybe one out of every three hires shouldn't match the job description 100%. Right? Maybe like every, you know, every third or every fourth hire should be somebody who only checks off 50% of the boxes and they're, they're going to be hungry to check off the rest of them. It fosters a different type of environment, right? Um, maybe you make it where, hey, we have 100 people in the company. We want to make sure we have X percent of our company as veterans or athletes or teachers or, you know, whatever. But like, think about what role uh, an unconventional role could apply very well to what your company does or have a good cultural fit to what your company does and go and hire them. 
right? Like if you're a, if you're a seller, I mean, I think military people can fit in pretty much anywhere, but athletes, athletes are really good sellers, really good. Right now, would I say an athlete who has no idea what accounting is would be a really good accountant? I don't know. You know, maybe they're really good at numbers, <laughs> like a bodybuilder or a weightlifter, probably. They can crunch some numbers. They're doing a lot of spreadsheet work. But like, that's something that like, I see you're smiling, Jamie. People don't realize, right? Like bodybuilders know a lot, a lot about numbers. Very, very. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm not a bodybuilder by any means. That's, that, that would be arrogant of me to say that. But I love Excel. I track my diet every single day and I have done for years. Exactly. There you go. Right. And that's, that's probably more than what a typical accountant does, right? You can look at a spreadsheet and you know what it's doing. And so that's my point is like, there's just like different differences there that you could, if you really think about it, you can, you can find somebody from an unconventional background who could really fit in. And as long as they know, like realistically 20, 30% of the mission, they'll figure out the rest. Yeah. I mean, the accountants is quite a good example because there's a running joke that accountants can't add, right? Right. <laughs> accountants yeah, yeah, i don't know what it is but they uh, seem, seem to make a lot of mistake with numbers for us for people who are qualified i shouldn't say that okay there's probably not going to be any accountants on the listening but it, this is um this is something i remember off of the the kickoff and something i know that you're, you're a big big believer in both personally and as a company is um i think we phrased it as this ocean of regurgitation which is which is linkedin at the minute which is just full of um yeah. you know those carousel carousels of like how i booked how i uh booked oh 150 how 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 do, what how do you stand out in that cesspool that is oh, uh that disgusting it's like every five posts i t- talking to x multi-million founder uh, you know, just turn 30, here's 30 things. You got like the ESPN does 30 for 30. Let them do that. They're great documentaries. 30 for 30 is great. We don't need to see any more 30 for 30 learnings, right? Um, like not even from Bill Gates, like we're good. Nothing that you've learned at this point is applicable to me. I'll let you in on another kind of sneak peek. It's something I've been working on for quite some time. Um, and, uh, it's the title of it is called No Name. Um, it's going to be a bit until it comes out, but, um, and something I've been working on for quite a bit. People that regurgitate information want to make a name for themselves. They take something that they saw from somebody who has a name or is a name, a symbol, an idol to them that they saw have success with. And they try to change and shape their being or their name to equate that to what the other person, their idol or whoever it is, right? Like Kyle Coleman posts a, you know, a post about how he talks to a hundred sales leaders a month, right? I'm choosing it as an example. The next thing you know, probably a couple thousand of Kyle's hundred thousand plus followers are going to start to post very similar things, right? Because it went off, the posted great, things like that. And it works. The problem with this is we're generalizing everything. We're generalizing absolutely everything. And we're just saying shit. Like we're just saying information that's out there that sometimes people aren't even doing. Like there's been people that are like, hey, sellers, here's how you should be doing it. And they're in marketing. Like I'm a buyer. I have not enough calls. Here's how you should do it. It's like, great. You had one call. Like, yeah, I mean, for one problem, I'm talking to hundreds of problems that are hundreds of different things every day. Like, don't tell me how to do my job. You know what I mean? I'll take your advice. I'll take it but I'm not going to apply everything. Like, don't act like, you know, there's a different way to say it. 
And so what I like to say is be a no name, not a name. Sometimes the, the people who have the wisdom you're seeking are the people that are in unlikely places that you've never got the chance to talk to or that have never said what, they're, what, what they want to say before. I give a lot of leadership advice, but if you look at it, people are like, he's this young, he's this, you know, he has only been in the role for this long. He's got this much experience. Sure, you can, you can say that. If, you, if I'm vanilla ice cream, you could do it, but I'm not, right? I've lived what I would say is like three or four lives already. I've seen a lot of stuff in my lifetime. I've got a lot of experience. But if you look at my age and you look at just the vanilla ice cream, you're not going to take that for it, right? I get people who tell me all the time on LinkedIn, why do you do email rewrites? Or why are you posting about sales email? You've only been doing it for a year you've only, or for two years or so on and so forth. And then I ask them and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to feed into it, but I'm just, I asked them, I'm like, do you equate wisdom to time? And they'll always say, well, yeah, wisdom is time. Oh, you're not a wise person. Some of the wisest people I know are people who haven't done things for a very long time. But they've lived a lot of life, a lot of it. And experience is what equates to wisdom. And you can't judge somebody's experience level based off of the little time that they've had here. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that no-name stuff sounds um, super exciting. This episode is probably not going to be out until December, so no-name may or may not have already been out by, by this point. Um, yeah. So you got, you got plenty of time. you got plenty of time. But um, okay, then, what, two last questions for you. What flavor ice cream would you be then if you're not vanilla? That's question one. Black raspberry chocolate chip. Very specific. Black raspberry and chocolate. Yeah. Okay, nice. Raiders nice. ice cream. It's a place in Cincinnati. It's my favorite thing in the world. But it's also something that like, I don't like black raspberries. In fact, I don't like raspberries at all. But I love this ice cream. <laughs> I don't interesting. know. It's interesting. I don't, think, I, don't I don't think I've ever heard of a black raspberry. It's a Unle- unless, unless, it's what we, unless it's what we call blackberries over here uh blackberries yeah blackberries black raspberries yeah, okay yeah same thing yep interesting yeah. yeah not not a flavor i've ever had but it sounds banging i gotta say it is it's super good uh and it's like all french stirred french pot ice cream so if you're ever in cincinnati let me know and i'll take mm. the graders but yeah, amazing pretty dope and then the final question, I think you've, you've given us loads of names of people that like have inspired you or you think are great. Um, but who do I need to get on the podcast and why? Uh, yeah. Maria Bross. I would get her on here. I would get, um, Riley Blaisdell. Just writing these down. Blaisdell. I would reach out to Jack Ryan, Jack Greener, my first manager. Um, he's a really, really good dude. Um, and he's got a super good story. He was paralyzed, fully disabled, climbed Mount Whitney um, while, you know, coming off of being paralyzed. Uh, and he still does rock climbing and everything else. He was basically at a 0.001% chance to walk again. And he is now not just walking, but running, cycling, doing everything he could possibly do. Just mental fortitude is the name of his uh, his nature. He's a beast. Um I'd say those three. I don't want to like over and done you, but those three are really good guests. I would reach out to them. Uh, I would say like Maria Bras is a really good one to talk about atomic habits with. Uh, Jack would be a really good one to talk about, you know, how he literally went from, you know, his major injury to recovering and then sales and 
all the different complications he's ran into in his life, uh, just like overcoming things and like what is really true grit? Because I hate to hear it. Like I hate when people say you need grit to be in sales. I'm like, bitch, you don't know shit about grit, you know? Like, <laughs> um, but I bet. Sorry for the language. Um, no, no, I, there there are no rules in terms of language on this podcast. So yeah. we're good. Um, we've we've had, we've had people on here talking about cocaine and hookers before, so it's all good. Yeah, there you go. Okay, um, but it's true. It's like I have. There was a post at one time that some somebody was like, you know, it takes it takes mental toughness and grit to wake up every day, look across from your bed at your computer, and log in and start doing cold calls. And I was like. You must be the most pansy ass person I've ever read in my <laughs> life. If you think that is mental toughness and grit, I will tell you what mental toughness and grit is. Hey, but I, be, I bet they've got two degrees and a master's under their belt, haven't they? Yeah, right. They're fucking experienced. <laughs> no, you're not. Right? They don't know shit. They don't know shit of wisdom. Um, and I can tell you that right away. It's like you are the definition of like a white piece of bread. Like there is nothing <laughs> else there. You know, um, like mental toughness and grit means something to me right it, it means something to me it's like you're sleeping on three hours and you have a four-day op and you're 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 carrying everything that you need on your back and uh danger at every corner walking in the middle of nowhere right and you have one objective and you either make it or you don't that's mental toughness right that's mental toughness. That's that's extreme mental toughness, but that's mental toughness. Mental toughness is not like, I got to get out of bed and make these cold calls. Like, no, that's just like doing your fucking job, you know? Um, but society has made everything something. So there we go. Um, but yeah, and then for Riley, you could talk to him about a whole slew of things. He is a master of community, food, life, golf anything sales he's the golf, one okay i've just got into golf yeah perfect there you go yeah riley's golf numerous courses um he's a great 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 human being riley is a fantastic person so yeah. amazing well look, that's a that's a great place to finish um i really appreciate you jumping on i think that that for me has been an extremely insightful chat and actually more than anything just a a very interesting chat to have for, for 58 minutes. So um, really appreciate you jumping on and making the, making the time for us. Um, and for those that are listening or watching, please make sure you uh, follow, subscribe, hit the like button. I'd be shocked if you didn't want to leave a five-star review after that. So please do. Um, and we will catch you in the next episode. But Mike, massive, massive thanks for jumping on. Yeah, no, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Jamie.